0: What do you say? Is, should we start? Or are we are we ready to? Are we waiting for more people to arrive? Or?
1: I say we should start.
0: We should get started. <laughs> okay, I'm Frederick Curtin, and I'm the filmmaker.
1: And I'm Leilani Farha, and I'm the advocate.
0: And this is Pushback Talks on Twitter Spaces uh, because we are so modern and so up to date. We're trying all the new tools out there. But I mean, the whole idea is to connect with uh, our um, listeners, give people a chance to speak straight to to us, ask us questions, and we will be able to hear your voices, which is also nice because a podcast is in some way a one-way direction thing. So it's nice to to hear hear you. Anybody who wants to join in, just say hello. Yeah. So... This title, Blackstone, Oatly and Spanx, The Art of Selling Human Rights Violations. Isn't that a very provocative title, Delani? Can you really say that and still? I mean, we're talking about fine companies. Oatly, they make oat milk, they do a lot for the planet. And Spanx, they are doing underwear for women, and it's like a very they're uplifting women. With cool underwear. Supposedly. And now you're mixing them with human rights violations. How how do you think?
1: Yeah, how does it work? I don't know if everyone listening in knows that Blackstone, the largest residential real estate private equity firm in the world that really established the terrible model that we're now living with that um, allows housing to be treated as an investment. This firm, mega firm is buying up all sorts of enviro-friendly women's empowerment companies, including Oatly, Spanx. They also bought up Hello Sunshine, which is Reese Witherspoon's uh, cool production company. They they bought a big company that also owns Bumble. Bumble is a dating app he- headed by a young, vibrant CEO, female. Um, so... Th- so the question is, why are they doing this? And I mean, we know that for them, everything's about the bottom line. So they see money in all of this. But the question becomes, are they greenwashing themselves? And does buying these companies sort of make them make their sins a- atone for their sins? That's the question.
0: I uh, I don't think that for them buying some oatmeal company really changes the content of, of being Blackstone. And I think you're right. Today, you know, the big COP meeting starts in Glasgow. And one of the big issues is, of course, greenwashing. And I think if we want to fight this, this very destructive part of capitalism, that is... Affecting our planet big time and also violating human rights we have to make the connections and we have to follow the money But we have some speakers here. So let's see who is online here to talk to us Uh, I see here oh, From in Nuevo León Abogada yuca perdida Nuevo León la señora las casas You have can you speak out? Can we hear you?
2: Yeah, hi. Sorry, <laughs> uh, my English is not very good. I'm from Mexico.
0: Welcome. Welcome.
2: Thanks. I'm uh, from uh, Monterrey City. Where I'm not from Hebrew. I'm living here, and I work with in um, housing rights um, here in Mexico. And I, when I read the the name of this um, space, I just uh, thought about um, and think about um, the problems that we are having in some places in Latin America with the tourism. Um, for example, right now in Mexico, we have this huge uh, government project, go, uh, government, but also with, with some uh, companies and private um, and money called the uh, uh, Tren Maya, Mayan Train, uh, which is a, is going to be a long road across the Yucatan Peninsula. And, and the main uh, objective of this um, project is to bring all the tourism and to, to i mean improving the the tourism in mexico but also is going to um generate a lot of enforced um, forced evictions in the whole area and mostly and um, against Mayan people so we are facing this but the problem is that I think obviously the money is one of the biggest uh, reasons why they are doing this kind of things. But also, I think it's kind of ideology at the same time. Because when we speak with some people from the government and the companies we, we, which are on um, the back of the, this project, we see that they really believe that they are doing a uh, good thing from the country. I think, I mean, they really believe that this is the way to develop a country. And even if they are accepting that they are to um, evict um, like 3,000 people from their homes. So I think it's also the...
3: Sorry.
0: Yeah, I, I think you're totally right. I mean, what we know from this modern time in history is that when you have a project that you want to make a lot of money out of, you need to sell it and you need to package it in a way so it sounds like it's good for everyone. And that's basically, now we talked about greenwashing. So they're using the same method. They are they are dressing this bid in a way so it looks fancy. And then they sell these visions to journalists, to politicians. They're selling the language to do it. So it's. Uh, so what you have to do to fight this is to create the counter language to, and actually to also to explain why this is, is bad for, for Mexico and why it's bad for the people. Leilani? Yeah,
1: <clears throat> well... I mean, it's, it's part of, you know, why human rights is so important, because it offers governments a framework that they should use when they're conceiving of projects and trying to um, figure out um, how to create better, sustainable communities. If you use a human rights framework, you know that you can't evict indigenous populations from their lands for example that that would that's a violation and that in fact you have to engage those populations to figure out a way um, to do your development without uh, harming them and without uh, uh, violating their human rights but but this is so not understood yet Um, so we're still at the beginning of moving forward Uh, the right to housing and getting engagement by governments with it so that they understand that it's not just language it is language it's important language but it's more than that it's actually guideposts for how to govern i think there's probably other speakers i saw that uh one of my shift team members julieta ah. peruca was a speaker at one point but now i see she's a listener so i don't know if, if julieta you want to jump in Invite to speak. I don't know. I don't know how this thing works.
3: <laughs> no.
0: but, uh, but thank you for, for calling in from Mexico. And uh, just to, to you, is that, that we are actually, there, there will be a release of, of Push, uh, the documentary in Mexico. It's, it's been delayed and delayed because of the pandemic. But the release of the film in Mexico will be now in the beginning of February next year. But now I can see that Julieta Peruca is on there. Hola, Julieta. How are you? Hola, I'm good. How are you? I'm I'm good. So I'm I'm in good company.
4: Yeah, this is great.
0: So what I understand, you work. I mean, you're also part of the push the film. We we get to know you there. But now you're are you're working on the the climate. Um, uh, meeting up in Glasgow. What So what, else, what are you doing right these days, these days? I mean,
5: I'm currently now doing a lot of really interesting research on how financialization is actually affecting climate change in the area of housing. And I mean, it's maybe something that we haven't been focusing enough on, um, but really taking the view of not only how financialization is affecting the right to housing, but how it's actually contributing to our total output of global greenhouse emissions. Uh, I mean, just to give you a few statistics, now that we're here, (laughs) uh, we know that the built environment accounts for around 38% of global greenhouse uh, gas emissions, which is a huge number. So now that we're in this COP26 moment and we're hearing all of these governments make these lofty promises around climate change, we aren't hearing so many of them talk about how we need to address financialization in the area of housing to limit our global greenhouse emissions. Um, just to give you a sense of it, there are, I mean, and these numbers are so huge, so they're really hard to grasp, but they're around 255 billion meters squared of buildings that currently exist in the world. And we're adding roughly Uh, 5.5 billion meters squared, which is the size of Paris more or less every single week. So every single week we're building enough buildings that amounts to the size of Paris. And then when we step back, we think, you know, who are these, who are these buildings for? Are they for those folks that are living in homelessness or those folks that are living in unaffordable or crowded housing? Or are they being used for investors just to accrue wealth or profit?
0: So you mean people are actually building houses not to live in them?
5: <laughs> I mean, that's what we see with financialization. What we're trying to get is to figure out governments really need to regulate the amount of buildings that are being built and to ensure that what is being built is to meet the demand of the most vulnerable and not just to stand vacant, um, to just to stand vacant, just to accrue profits.
1: Yeah, Julieta, I think the statistics you gave are so helpful because I it's think really everyone thinks
5: part of financialization, which I think we need to start focusing a little bit more on. We also hear a lot of governments talking about how we need to build more supply, build more supply. But in actual fact, we don't really think that supply is going to address the housing costs, Um And it's definitely not going to help with the climate crisis. So... Those are two, two issues
6: that need to be looked
0: at together moving forward. That's, that's cool. We have two more speakers who want to join us here. I see if I can find you here. It's uh, Javier Versat. I don't know where you're based, but you write in French. Javier, can you join in?
7: Hello. Hello,
8: everybody. Hi. Hello. Who are you? Um, I'm calling from uh, from France, close to Paris. And uh, I just discovered this conversation, and I just wanted to jump in just to share the fact that right now in Calais, on the border of France uh, with, uh, with the, the, uh, the sea, uh, just in front of Great Britain, there is a, um, a hunger strike going on with three people since 22 days, because they, they want to to oppose the fact that for, for years now, more than 15 years, people in calais area waiting for an opportunity to go to cross the channel are uh, are daily uh, harassed and their, their tents are destroyed sometimes pepper is put on their food
1: crazy
0: yeah thank you javier for calling in and leilani you were there as a u.n special rapporteur in Calais, so you you actually been there into the to the camp even if, if it was a few years ago
1: yeah uh Julieta and I actually were in Calais together uh, when I was UN rapporteur, and um, the conditions up there are really horrific. Um, we met many people who were hoping to make it across the channel to England who had positioned themselves there. It's quite sad, actually, had, had, had positioned themselves up there so that they could actually see the UK as a as a as a dream place to get to as migrants and refugees, who were harassed, as the speaker said, Javier, daily, who were being forced. They they would pitch a tent, and every 24 hours they would be forced to move. Um, I hadn't heard of this putting pepper in their food, but I, frankly, nothing surprises me about um, the tragedy that's happening up in Calais. Um, it seems you know, politicians end up treating it as a political issue rather than understanding that these folks have human rights and just need some dignity, you know, just just to live, just to survive. Um, I also wanted to comment on Julieta's uh, intervention about climate change. Um, I found the statistics she gave really helpful, This because in our work, on the human right to housing, we're always being told, oh, the solution is to build more housing, build, build, build. And as Julieta rightly pointed out, not only is building not actually reaching the people who most need it, but it's also killing the planet. And so my only concern is that if we start saying, well, everything that has to be built has to be green, I do worry that those engaged, the private sector will say, oh, it's too expensive to build green. And then they'll try to pass those costs on to the tenants who won't be able to afford it, for example, including refurbishment, not just new buildings, but refurbishment. So that's my one concern. And I hope they're talking about that at COP26, although I I don't know if they will.
0: I can see that uh, Diego Mendiburo is here. I think it says here that you are at the Cambridge University. Can you hear us, Diego?
2: Yes, I can hear you.
0: Welcome. So, what are you up to? Are you in Cambridge or are you somewhere yes, else? Yes, I am currently at Cambridge University. I'm studying a master's in tech policy. Cool. So, are you listening of pushback talks? Have you been listening to our podcast? I just joined you because I found the name of the um, conversation interesting, but I was just hearing you guys. It's fine. I mean, we need new friends. We love our old friends, but new friends are kind of... Hotter in some ways, you know. (laughs) But uh, tell me, what are you up to? What are you working on?
7: Uh, Well, uh, I'm just beginning the process of uh, doing uh, research and trying to do like our final
0: project is some kind of consultancy for one um, organization that we might choose to work with. So I'm very interested in regulating big tech or uh, especially from the perspective of developing countries, what can we do to regulate uh, big tech, even though if obviously they are not based in our country, but they are indeed big markets for them. So that's my... My passion to talk about those topics. Hmm. What are, What are your roots? Where are you? I'm where from you? Mexico. Mexico is today. It's like our country today. That's cool. Welcome, uh, Diego. To you, look up, push the film. Uh, you should see it uh, because then you will understand what we are talking about. But also look up, push back talks. It's on all platforms. That's the podcast we've been doing for a year or so. And this is like a little bit of a promotional and get in touch with our patrons and so on. But but welcome and, and thank you for showing for up. I really for that, thank you very much. And we have Cypriz on. Uh, so you, maybe you're out there also somewhere. Or did I lose her? We have to look for some more. See, Now she went to be... But I will look for someone else. Uh, Victoire. That's a cool handle. Are you
8: there? Yeah. Hi, I'm here. Uh-huh.
0: Hello. Who are you? It's a very secret handle uh-huh. you have. So, oh, okay. okay.
8: <laughs> uh, I just randomly joined this conversation because I find it interesting.
0: Where are you? Where are you based?
4: Uh, I'm in Vietnam. Oh, okay. Vietnam. Welcome. So it's, it's, it's
0: late, late by night now. So uh, in Vietnam, you have the same problems that we share all over the, the world with a huge investment into people's homes and makes life quite expensive. Uh, so, what part of Vietnam are you based in?
8: I mean, I know the capital. In so Hano. there
0: is so it's it's quite an expensive city these days, isn't it? Yes, isn't
8: it? so expensive.
0: Yeah, and do you know who the, who are buying all their homes in your town?
8: Um, yeah. Uh, in my country, so many people try to get a home like before they turn to the age of thirty but they often uh, do not have enough resource to afford it they often have to loan to take a loan from the bank or from their parents or yeah from some somewhere else
1: yeah I've been um following a little bit what's happening in Vietnam and in Hanoi uh, in terms of affordable housing. I'm really glad you joined us um because it, before the pandemic, the organization I'm working with called The Shift, we were hoping we could make it to Vietnam to meet with people, to learn more about how crazy expensive it is and how the housing is um, basically being sold off to investors, uh, f- both uh, uh, regional investors and foreign investors. So I'm, I'm really happy to be hearing from you. And are you are you living in rental accommodation yourself?
8: Uh, yeah, uh, I rent an apartment right now. Yeah, because like most of the people here, I cannot afford a house right right now.
1: Right, and is your rent affordable?
8: Um, yeah, obviously.
1: Oh, that's good. That's good. <laughs> well, not obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank
8: God it's affordable. Right. Yeah, it's
0: so nice of you to to join us here, and and if you have time, look out for. PushTheFilm.com. There is a, t- a trailer, the website where you can also find the film, and uh, so it. I think it will be relevant also for Vietnam. It's the same. It's the same stuff happening all over the world. So, but but thank you for joining us. Let's see. We have um, coming in here somebody who presents themselves as 22 pumpkins. Are you <laughs> out there?
6: Hey. Yes, hello, hello. No, I I don't have anything to say. I just uh, joined as a speaker back when there was uh, audio issues. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> it worked, but that's
0: cool. So where are you? Where are you based? Uh,
6: Swe- Sweden, Sweden, actually. Uh,
0: Sweden. Whereabouts? Karlskoga. Karlskoga. Okay, that's it's out in Värmland. In, yes, the, in the, Värmland. it's 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 a it's a cool place. Yes, yes it's
6: I, cool place. I agree. It's, uh, it's a nice place.
0: Have you have you seen the film? Push the film?
6: Yeah, I, I saw it on uh, SVT. Uh, back when it uh, first showed, uh, and then I started following you on Twitter and uh, follow us as well. Uh, I'm not a patron yet, oh, cool. because I don't have an income, I'm a, I'm a student, but, but I will become a patron once I have uh, money.
0: That's cool. <laughs> you're, you're. We we'll, we'll love to have you here, it's n- n- and nice to hear your voice also. We...
6: Yeah, I, I have nothing like interesting to add or whatever, right? Uh, I want to say that I'm, I'm a big fan oh. of you, of you and Delani and uh, the team behind, of course. And uh, I think you're doing a really good uh, good and important job. Um,
1: yeah, That's cool. Thanks.
0: Leilani. you have to say something because you've never been to Kalskyoga.
1: I have not. I have not yet. But uh, super nice that you joined us today. And, you know, my heart's in Sweden. We all know I'm actually part Swedish in some way, shape or form. It's clear to me now. Thanks for joining. But I see that one of our listeners is a Canadian colleague and friend of mine, Tim Ross. I think he's still there. Uh, And I want to raise something that he, about financialization of housing, something that he brought to my attention. And just so our listeners have some sense of the way this stuff can work, one of the um, big financial actors involved in all of this is pension funds. So pension funds, directly and indirectly, are purchasing residential real estate across the world. And for those who saw PUSH, you saw that I spoke with the South Korean Pension Fund Um, Well, South Korea is not the only pension fund active in this area, Uh, and in Canada, there's a small-ish, although big because they have money, uh, pension fund that um, had ownership of of cooperative housing out in the western part of Canada, and now they want to put it, actually they have put it, I believe, on the private market for sale, and... The concern, of course, is that the people who are living in that cooperative housing, many of whom are paying affordable rents, uh, will lose the affordability of their um, units upon sale. And the pension fund is saying, as I understand it, oh, don't worry about that. We'll make it a condition of the sale that whoever buys the property has to maintain these affordable units. And of course, as well, me in my advocacy role, and I'm sure Tim is deeply concerned too. We're thinking, well, what kind of a contract is is going to be crafted that that can that can compel rents to stay affordable forever in perpetuity? No contract, and so um, pretty interesting stuff e- emerging. I have Tim is enough. out
0: there. Tim, a, Tim is Tim actually is here. There. You can
1: join us, Tim. Oh, he's Just put himself as a speaker. So there you go, Tim Ross. <laughs>
3: I uh, hey there not to put uh, you on the spot tim <laughs> oh no happy to happy to be here it's it's nice to do something spontaneous for a change yes. uh <laughs> uh so thanks for thanks for hosting and and uh and for all the great work that you do uh leilani you're you're right it's uh it's what a world we live in when a uh when a pension fund owned by um owned by a union is uh is selling uh human rights uh, uh violations or potential human rights violations um the uh the lease for this co-op your right end on uh, uh yesterday and uh and we are really hoping that the pension fund managers will um will find some heart and some common sense and make a deal with uh with the province of british columbia and the members of the housing cooperative to uh, uh to uh uh, preserve uh, the co-op tenure and, and the affordability of this co-op community, and not sell it on the open market. Um, there are actually members of this pension fund uh, who who are receiving the pension, who are members of OOP, who are uh, who are senior citizens who can't afford a big rent increase if another uh, owner comes in and, and takes over this uh, takes over this property. Uh, so it's and you're right as far as these commitments around. Uh, the, these supposed commitments by the pension fund saying, "Oh, we'll find a buyer who commits to ongoing affordability," well, show us a legal instrument that will do that, um, exactly. and 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 then you know, but but sur- sur- nothing's been disclosed to the public, and certainly nothing's been shared with the co-op members to alleviate their concerns. Mm. So, um, so more to come here, um, and uh, as much as we will try to try our best to put a chill on any prospective buyer here. Um, you know, if, if someone comes in from, from outside of Canada, who doesn't give a damn about public opinion, uh, well, we're in trouble.
0: Yeah. This is what happens. I actually saw now before the COP meeting that, the the fair, um, the fair finance movements, which is now a growing global movement. They have a call towards, you know, all the pension funds and all these investors who are like just sending out money into everything that just destroys the planet and, and violates human rights. So we should all have a look into what the fair finance movement is doing. And there is there is a call that you can actually resend today. But I see here also that we have uh, Carol T- Tricoce. Tricoce. Are you there, yes, Carol? Yes, that's
4: correct. Uh, Hi, where I'm are you? I am from Portland, Oregon. And I've been following your, uh, well, I watched your film and then following your podcast. And um, Portland, Oregon seriously has a, um, a houseless situation. Um, and I feel like some things are progressing. They are, you know, building the small villages and things, but I feel like, uh, I feel like the city, the commissioner, the commissioner, Dan Ryan is missing the crucial point of the financialization that's going on. And I don't know how to get to them to, start to listen that the problem is only going to get worse if we don't start to control the housing market. That, you know, yes, we have mental health issues that are going on and other things too, but the root of the problem is not being looked at. Mm. Um, from my from my from from what I'm seeing, it's like they're not seeing that, you know, my son, 25 years old, lives in a house with five other 25-year-olds in order to afford to live here in Portland. That doesn't seem right. Right. Uh, you know, so
0: it is not right and this is like the situation of major cities all over north america and europe and we had you know we talked with somebody in vietnam recently who has the same problem but it's scary because in in especially us you also see it on the streets Yes. How is the? Do you have a lot of homeless people in the streets oh, of Portland? Yes, yes. Also, lots
4: of homeless people. It's it's definitely a crisis at the moment. I, leave, I mean, just down the street, two blocks from me, there's a whole row of of uh, motorhomes that people live in, in tents. And I mean, it's everywhere. It's it's all over mm. Portland. And and I see that the commissioner Dan Ryan, who's been assigned to helping with the ho- the housing situation, is working on building building the small villages. And I and I commend that to get people off the street and give them a place, a transitional place. But my point is, is that it's, we're not looking at the root of the problem. We're not looking that um, as, as far as, as the housing market keeps going up, more and more people can't afford to live and they can't afford to rent. They can't afford to purchase. I mean, the young people, my gosh, they can never afford to purchase. And I and I sit back and I look and I go, so everyone wants more wages and I get that, which which everything else trickles up and everything goes up. But to me, it seems like we need to start to look at managing the housing pricing because if that's managed, then people can afford to... Live and purchase a home or rent a home um, in with the salary that they make. But if we just yeah. keep, if we just keep piling on and on and on and on, it's it's never going to get anywhere. I feel mm-hmm. really sorry for my, for the young youth right now not being able to purchase. Um yes. and, and myself mm-hmm. actually, Ray, I sold, I sold my house and now I'm renting right now, and I can't even purchase right now. So there you go, you know. But um, oh, that's right. anyways, that's Carol. I just I wanted to re- share. Thank you so much for no, I think bringing this. Thank you, Carol. To
1: I think you raise really good point and one of the things things that i've noticed recently is there is increased discussion about homelessness and houselessness as a problem um but the solutions never point to the actual uh root causes including the financialization of housing and the unaffordability of housing in cities like portland and all up and down the the west coast of the the u.s um uh, and elsewhere within the u.s of course so I mean, even the the great piece um, John Oliver did the other day, um, it was great, you know. And he's really raising awareness by by putting out there the idea that um, uh, houselessness is a huge problem in the U.S. and that even the liberals, the and and and, and true blue Democrats, um, are part of the problem. But where he didn't go was after those. That are really skewing the market, the big financial institutional financial actors, uh, and the need to rein them in. And enough is enough, you know. He didn't. He just didn't go there, unfortunately. But w- we need to start making those connections for our politicians and help them see these connections. Um, if they don't see them, and it, sometimes they bury them, and so we have to unearth them. But I think we have other speakers, so we should probably. Yeah, Frederick, I'm in your hands.
0: Thank you very much. I see Karina out there. I don't know where you are, but uh, you seem to also speak Spanish. Are you there, Karina?
6: Yes. Hi.
0: Hi. Welcome. Thank you. Where are you calling from?
6: Well, I'm a Chilean, but I live in Malmo.
0: Ah, Ah. que buena combinación. Two good things, (laughs) Chile and Malmo.
6: Yes, and I'm a PhD student at Malmo University. I actually am researching about unaffordability and how it is connected with... Actually, uh, residential mobility, how residential mobility can uh, be read as an indicator or or as an expression of uh, unaffordability and and the problems of actually the whole housing market.
0: So, and... now you have Leilani, the, the global expert. So what do you have one really strong question for her that makes her something that you've been thinking a lot about but you haven't really cracked yet? I mean, that's how I use Leilani.
6: I have a lot of questions. <laughs> I have a lot of questions. But um, the thing is, maybe what hits me more strongly maybe is the this idea that uh, everything seems so... Th- is set down everything seems to like to cemented and rooted and this is this is i sometimes i, I got the feeling that we are not like going um, going anywhere with this discussion and i don't know where to place where the problem is and i feel that we like from the research uh, the research world we are like producing and producing more and more information about it and the information sometimes is overwhelming uh, but it's not reaching
0: That's why we do films and podcasts, because Mm -hmm. we want to reach out. (laughs) Thank you, Karina.
6: This is something that is really disturbing me because this is like um, when you talk with someone, sometimes with people that are maybe at the other side of the street, uh, they say that it's not like this is not something that we can solve with research or we we can't solve it with more information. Uh, and i feel that the problem is somewhere i don't know it is of course it's a political and i don't know how to i don't know maybe you
0: karina this is this is a very good question for for uh, for leilani how can all these research be used but before we should just say uh delilah Rosenberg, hang on we're going to go to you after leilani's uh, little answer here now
1: (laughs) Uh and and maybe delilah can answer that question too but um uh, I, you know I think actually there is a lot of research and there isn't enough research I have to say that because I think that there should be an audit of every city and every unit in every city in and a determination of who owns what in every city. I think that's absolutely important, and I think that that would be incredibly revealing, and many cities haven't had such audits done. There are data journalists doing that kind of work, and I think that, that honestly, that that's so so important to expose who owns our cities. From there, I mean, I think we've actually have started to make change, so I hope that um, you can find some inspiration from around the world. If you look to what's happening in Berlin, I mean, they are making huge strides. Look in Barcelona, um, some good changes. Ireland, it's become the hottest topic of debate. Um, In Canada, our most recent uh, general election, housing became the number one issue or one of the top issues and the political parties were forced to come up with more creative and ambitious um, attention on the housing crisis. So I do think things are moving. They're not moving fast, but change never happens fast.
0: <laughs> hmm. Delilah, are you there?
1: Hi, can you hear me?
0: Yes, we can hear you. Welcome. welcome. Oh, great. Uh, we're, we're, Leilani knows you. I don't know you. You have to present yourself. So I want to be inside a
3: circle. Oh, it's so nice <laughs> to
9: meet you. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, my, my name is Delilah Rothenberg. I'm based, uh, as of recently, in West Palm Beach, Florida, although I'm a New Yorker uh, prior to that. And um, I'm a huge fan of uh, Leilani's work. I love this discussion and, um, you know, all of the great perspectives that everybody's bringing. Um, I I wanted, I jumped in because it struck me when uh, somebody said that the, some of the residents in this building or this area in Canada that's being sold are actually the pensioners of the pension
0: fund. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big story. This is and this is affecting all of us also in my town the pension funds are behind most of this big uh, purchasing of of residential housing and the same in berlin and all over the place so because blackstones and these guys they're they're approaching the pension funds to 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 get their money
9: yeah yeah so so it occurred to me um that it might be interesting to see what the pensions what this particular pension fund outlines as um, its responsibilities and process and its investment belief statement and investment policy statement and um, how that aligns with this idea that they might be having negative impacts for the pensioners. Because in the case of climate change um, and you know there are parallel human rights abuses, one could argue going on with pension funds and climate change because of pension funds are financing um, fossil fuel companies and other uh, heavy polluting industries that are having a negative impact on people Um, that might not be in line with what their stated goals are. And so uh, there have been uh, at least one, maybe more cases, pension funds are actually being, or investors are actually being sued for some of the negative impact they're having and, and uh, not sort of practicing what they preach. And so it might be interesting to look into what does this pension fund say that it is supposed to do? And, um, Perhaps pursue a path of accountability that way, if all else fails. I think that's. Um, a, I
0: do. It's an interesting perspective because this is happening also in many places around the world, where activists are using the courts to to check on on the powerful. It can be on on you know. I mean, in Paris, they activists want forced the government to, to back down on because they didn't do enough on the climate change in in the Netherlands. Activists were suing Shell Oil Company for not doing what they should. So I think this is a—it's a very interesting perspective to take them to court. Uh, Leilani, you are a lawyer.
1: Well, I don't know (laughs) if Delilah was suggesting that, but she was suggesting that just even looking at—you know—how does the pension fund put itself forward? What are the values the pension fund puts forward, and how do those align or not with the sale of this? property on the private market, especially our our the person, uh, Tim Ross, who joined us to talk about this, said that an offer had been made by a government body to purchase the cooperative. That government body far more likely to keep it a cooperative and affordable housing. And the pension fund said, no, we want to put this on the private market. We don't want to sell this to you. And so um, I, think, I think that's what Delilah was suggesting. And, and what Delilah didn't reveal is that she has a long history working in, in the area of finance um, and so knows ha- what is persuasive amongst financial actors. So, um, Delilah, I'm going to bring this to Tim's attention if he's not still on the line um, to see if that might be persuasive. I, I was right. just
3: going to say, and, and thanks, Delilah, for, uh, for raising that very point. You know, on the, um, on the union's website, Uh, on their about page for the pension plan. Top line says local 115 believes no senior who has spent their lives working should retire in poverty. So I don't know how this action is uh, is consistent with the top line of, of uh, what they've publicized on their website because that is the very real risk in these uh, situations where pension funds sell housing or acquire housing assets and and uh, financialize them for a greater return on uh, uh, for their investors. So um, so so thanks very much for raising that and and, uh, and uh, the irony is not lost on us either. Thank you.
0: We are soon wrapping up, but there are some few people out there still that are calling in. We have my friend, Dr. Pei P- C. Show at the University of Amsterdam. Are you there?
8: Hi, yes, I just joined. <laughs>
0: hi ah, hello how are you doing
8: yeah good um sorry about the noise my two boys are just right next to me <laughs> but this is really a, a fascinating okay. talk. I've, I've only just joined so i might have missed out a, a little bit at the beginning but you have
0: seen push uh, and you are now based in amsterdam so what do you see what, what is your perspective on the well, story i
8: mean in amsterdam as far as i know uh, one of the newest well it's a perennial issue of course but student housing is one of these things that are um that is a real problem and of course in general housing across the city is a huge problem i only just moved here a couple of months ago but already i'm quite attuned to all these problems of uh, you know the lack of housing the lack of affordable housing um the the role of private equity private uh, investment in in the ownership of new housing spaces that have made uh you know affordable housing impossible for a huge number of people across the city and of course you know house prices are just going crazy in in the netherlands and especially in amsterdam so i feel like this yeah. this is an issue that's just you know so um, embedded in in sort of everyone's you know everyday experience across the city it's hard to ignore
0: yeah it is thank you for for joining and and thank you for sending me your book
8: your your, <laughs> yeah. your work and I'm, um, I'm, I'm really happy I'm for glad that you received
7: it. thank you very much
0: <laughs> thank you Advocacy Watch. Who
7: are you? Hi, it's uh, nice to see you. It's Kim. Um, I'm from Leon, the Living and Lived Experience of Homeless Network. Oh, oh. hi, welcome. Kim. Finally, we meet you. I know. I, it's, it's so good to be here. And I got here late. And I'm really, I just want to thank thank you for doing this. I have a question. Um, I, I do frontline advocacy. And yeah. I've noticed a couple things. Like uh, there's people who are in and there's people who are out. And uh, I'm now on the out. Um, People who are living poor, uh, the woman from Portland spoke to this a little bit. Um, Like there's just, our voices are just not here. I'm really grateful I'm here. Um, And I had a question about police pension funds. Um, It's not even just a question. I guess it's more of a, we need to look into police pension funds. Um, People here who are unhoused have been saying that they feel for some years now, that that somehow they might have uh, their pension funds in housing.
0: If that's if that's true, it's a big story. So keep keep researching, I would say. But Kim, I'm I'm I just must say that it's, I mean I admire your work, and and you have a voice, and and, and keep keep using it. And we actually placed this timing of this uh, Twitter space so you at the. The West Coast of Canada could also take part. So thank you for getting up. Even if you're a bit late, it's a, it's okay.
1: <laughs> and we, Kim, we appreciate your ongoing support. You've been so supportive of PUSH and Pushback Talks and our work. And, of course, we're deeply supportive of your work. So we should uh, connect around this police pension fund stuff. It could be pretty interesting.
7: Right on. Thank you. look forward to it. I really appreciate the work you do. Thanks. I'm a little little concerned about how people seem to be not that interested anymore in rights, like human rights, like just everybody's rights. And I'm going to just say one quote before I say goodbye and and, um, someone, I won't mention who it was, but somebody who's been really pushing against things like pushback and make the shift. And um, uh, one of their quotes is, when human rights get in the way of humans being right. So we we are up against (laughs) arrogance, arrogant white supremacist system that is uh, re- really trying to to squish and, and like completely squish rights so that's what we're up against and police pension funds we need to get on that thank you i'll stop now
0: leilani frederick this is uh, this is not our podcast this is this is uh i mean we have we know we have listeners in 120 countries which is very cool and we got a little bit of sense of it I, I really like to hear voices of people it makes it gives me some energy back sometimes you know you go up and down in energy because both me and you are doing this podcast on top of everything it's not something we make money out of and we have to do other things to make money so that's the, the days become sometimes a bit short or intense but this gives me energy and and makes me want to go on
1: isn't that good? Yeah, and I feel the same way. And I, I liked what one of the speakers said. You know, the spontaneity of this Twitter live is kind of cool because you don't know who's out there and who cares and who's interested. And it's nice to hear from people around the world, especially given that our world is so small right now with this COVID. Although I have been released from my bunker. I am not in my bunker for once you're for our podcast. You're in
0: London with your sister. That's cool. I yeah, I
1: am. It's very cool. Yeah. Ah oh, yeah, you deserve yeah.
0: it. You you really deserve it. <laughs> anyway, uh so should we do should we tell people how we actually fund this because we had the, this sw- Swedish guy who, who will become a patron when he makes some money. For us it will be like a sense of uh,
1: solidarity. Yeah,
0: somebody likes us.
1: That's right. So and you do that by going to our Patreon account, patreon.com and look for pushback talks and we're there
0: that's how we roll
1: easy as one two three
0: (laughs) and we can also count (laughs) (laughs) sometimes sometimes okay friends this was like a try of the twitter spaces and I, i think we should do it again because it's interesting to see who shows up And um, I think so too. I was waiting to see if Mark Schloss would show show up because he's one of our patrons, and he wrote a very interesting uh, question about China, the the bubble, the bursting bubble in China of real estate. Leilani, do you have a take on what's happened the Evergrande story in 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 China?
1: Well, I do. It's um, pretty interesting Evergrande because. I mean, the government of China really promoted real estate and uh, private actors in the real estate industry to build, 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 and supply, supply, supply for the many agriculturalist uh, population that were moving to the cities in China. And um, so they encouraged that on the one hand, and then once they started to sense that this was um, going sideways or really turning into a bit of a bubble, they implemented some regulations that made it very difficult for these actors to continue to borrow and basically put a pin in the bubble, pricked the bubble. And so the question that Mark raised was, would other governments ever have the courage to do what the China, the government of China did in a way, which is to burst the bubble. Uh, so it's a, it's a fascinating conversation, but I, I commit to our audiences. We will do an episode on China sometime.
0: That's cool. Soon. That's a promise from the global director of The Shift and the co-host of <laughs> Pushback Talks, Leilani Farah, normally in the bunker in Ottawa, but now in London. Okay. Mm. Are we good? Shall we go out and uh, celebrate life? Um, no, we're actually on the same time zone almost. We can go for beers and say cheers. 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 <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you very much. And uh, soon we will we'll be out with Pushback Talks again. We have more interesting guests coming up. So stay with us. Thanks, Frederick. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Leilani. Thanks, team.
8: Pushback Talks is produced by WG Film. To watch Push, visit pushthefilm.com. You can also support us by becoming a Patreon at patreon.com slash pushbacktalks. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you again next week.